Well, I'm delighted to be here today with Alan. Um, I happened to meet Alan at the Chino conference, the quest for a spiritual home. He was good enough to uh, contact me when I said I needed to get a ride. I believe it was to the airport. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, been, it's, it's been two months already and I've done two trips in between since then. So my memory is a little foggy, but um mm -hmm. I just had a great time at the conference and a great time getting to know Alan in the car. It was quite a long drive to the airport. And uh, I wanted to share Alan's story with the rest of the community. So, Alan, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe how you grew up and then what attracted you to this little corner? And then what are you doing these days? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and just uh, sorry, I honestly I feel like I went to the conference and I was just keeping up with this little corner would you say your audience is like very aware of the terminology and the people in the corner or it, it we should sort of try and explain things in a way that uh well anyone i think would it's probably half half probably half of my audience is tuned into this little corner and the other half are people who've come by way of some of the um scientists and philosophers that i've had on the channel and so mm -hmm. I always think it's best to talk about this in a way that makes it accessible to people who might be visiting or trying this out for the first time. So if you have a way to do that, that would be great. <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. I'll just hedge that way. I mean, it makes me laugh because sometimes I'm like, I don't even know all the players. I don't even know all this <laughs> stuff. And what even is this little corner? I'm like, That's honestly, exactly right. <laughs> it's like this weird, it's funny. I try to explain it like because I went to a conference and I hadn't done anything besides listen to some podcasts from Paul Vanderclay and Jonathan Peugeot and trying to explain to people it's like kind of Christian-y but it's not and it's YouTube but it's also and it's just impossible to explain to people so I mean we'll figure it out as we go and also one more thing with how we met is very serendipitous because someone offered me a ride and then I asked to off if I could offer that ride to other people going to the airport and honestly, I was about to take it down because I posted it to a group chat discord that we had. Uh, and then we were about to leave. So I was going to take it down. And then you reached out. So I was like, right at the last minute, we ended up in the same car and then we got to chatting. So yeah, yeah, that was uh, it was a fun weekend, though. Just everyone, you know, all these different people you met. And uh, so if people are aware of the corner and you have a chance to uh, go to any of the con conferences or the estuary meetings, I'd highly recommend it you're going to meet some really cool interesting people and you know you offer a ride to the airport and suddenly you're doing a podcast with that person so <laughs> uh yeah so your question was sort of oh where did you grow up where were you born oh yeah yeah I was born actually I was born in the hospital in the town that I grew up in which is very cool uh I was born in a town in uh northern New Jersey uh, very suburban, sort of a commuter city to New York City. And uh, yeah, so it was very American suburbia, uh, middle class, upper middle class, uh, went to the local high school, local middle school. Um, yeah, and <clears throat> was, uh, yeah, I had a really nice, beautiful childhood, honestly. I was very lucky, two parents, um, two siblings, two, an older sister and a younger sister. So, you know, a lot of a lot of girl talk. I watched more Gossip Girl than NFL football growing up. So, <laughs> you know, Stars Hollow is very near and dear to my heart, you know. And so but uh, yeah, so I grew up 
um, played a little bit of sports, pretty standard uh, American suburbia. My town was very like Americana. Um, the, t the library in my town was uh, a Carnegie library. So it started in the 1930s uh, from a fund from the steel magnate Carnegie, uh, the Carnegie family. And then, yeah, so it was a very old uh, northern commuter town from New Jersey into New York City. Um, yeah, it was really, really beautiful, really wonderful to grow up there. Um, and what yeah, kind of and things then, were you interested in in high school? I mean, did you already have dreams of what you wanted to do with your life? Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm still having those dreams right now. Uh, and, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I guess the what's interesting is that, uh, or the angle on that is sort of, um, yeah, you were sort of given free reign of, you know, sports were very much clubs, participation. Uh, it was a little tough, to, or not tough, but it was interesting because everything just fell into the, the future always fell into the category of college, of like everything's just like, you're going to go to college. And if you play a sport in college, great. If you don't play a sport in college, great. Like, you're all just going to go into the higher education and that's sort of going to be your future. Um, and what was interesting about that, it, or what, I think one of the effects of that is it sort of prevented um, some level of, you know, understanding like what you, you know, uh, of what you wanted to do. And while it's, it's great being able to go to college and being encouraged to go to college, uh, it's sort of like they'll tell you what you're going to do when you get there. You know, like these people, they're the beautiful people that, you know, you're going to go to these beautiful schools that have lush campuses and it's you know and then when you get there that's you know it, it's going to happen it's going to be different and then you're going to something's going to happen and then you're going to be an adult and then when you're an adult you're going to know exactly what's going on for the rest of your life uh and so yeah i think uh yeah that that was uh, a big part and i think that cloistered growing up and sort of not being anxious about the future because there is a plan i really allowed for like sort of a picturesque, uh, you know, outdoorsy, hanging out with your friends, enjoying running around suburbia. But at the same time, uh, then, you know, you get to college and the hilarious thing is that you realize no one knows what they're doing. And in fact, there's sort of, uh, not no one knows what they're doing. I don't want to sound too cliche, but that you're really going to have to start thinking deeply about your own values and the own, your own things you want to do, because there are many directions you can be pulled in. Uh, and the one of those directions, some of those directions are bad or aren't going to be where you want to end up. And uh, sort of own, almost almost realizing, I think I was sort of over, over pointed towards the idea that people in college uh, would be sort of good in this way of like platonically good, that they're they're educated, they're attracted, you know, they're they're college, they're, they're they're the people who that's where you become an adult, that's where you're matured, and that's you know fraternities are brotherhoods where people are good and and kind to one another, and, and there's an order to it, and. Uh, I think uh, that let, let me just ask one thing there. Do you think that you got that impression from your parents because that was their experience when they were in college or 
or or was that just their their dream of what college should have been like or <laughs> yeah i think that yeah in a big way i think that my parents who grew up uh in the 60s in uh a little uh, at least my dad grew up in sort of American suburbia, grew up out West in a, in a growing city, Phoenix, Arizona, you know, the Phoenix, Arizona was nothing when he started growing up and then like becomes this huge. And at this point is a major metropolitan area. So just growing, expanding that we have these institutions. And I, I don't want to project this all into my parents. I think that it, it's part of sort of the narrative uh, that people wanted to weave and that people wanted to believe in. Uh, and yeah, it just, <laughs> it uh, it was interesting. I mean, I won't even say any of this was negative. It just was one of the maturing moments of my life to realize. Uh, and I'll tell a funny story regarding that. Um, there was a girl, one of the first people I actually met, and she just, I met her first day of college, big group, you know, the first people you meet when you're in orientation at college, is sort of, uh, um, yeah, the the first group of people you meet, they're your friends. They're the only people you know. You're clinging to them. You don't have any family. You don't have any friends. So you're like, these are the people I just met two seconds ago. These are my best friends. And, uh, you know, one of them, I just noticed, like, sort of wasn't taking care of people in the group, wasn't asking how people were doing. We're going to different parties. We're going... Uh, and I just was like noticing that they didn't really seem that interested in the making sure that everybody was together, making sure that everybody was okay. They sort of uh, would abandon the group, then come back, then and sort of, you know. And what was funny is I met a guy that I liked later that ended up dating this girl. And, you know, I, I liked this guy so much. He was a big, huge dude. I'm still friends to this day. Played on the football team. Gigantic man. You know, and I sat down with him one day and he's dating this girl that I, I had met so early on. And I'm like, this guy is so normal and so nice and just a regular good guy. And his girlfriend was so hard to be around. So I just end up sitting next to him and we're not really that close of friends. We're sort of, and I just look at him and I'm like, your girlfriend's crazy, right? And this is like, I don't know where that, this guy could have ripped me in half. I'm not an extrovert in that way. I just was so like, this guy gets it. This guy's so nice and normal and pleasant to be around. And his girlfriend's so the opposite of that. And he just looks at me and like, you know, gigantic football player, played linebacker for our football team, just says like, yeah, you're right. And then we just were friends for the rest of the call. And we're just like laughing it up and just like everything's going well. Uh, and it just, I don't know. It, that was like a moment of just, something came together in the in the universe where I just I, I would have never ever done something like that ever before I would always you know err on the side of caution so I guess that was an example of sort of me realizing that like young kids are just running around sort of unsupervised doing things that are good doing things that are maybe questionable and sort of that that to me was a lot of the college experience and then one day sort of the door closes and you're out on the other side of college in your graduation gown and being like, okay, now what do I do? And that's sort of like the beginning. Um, and just to fast forward a little bit, not to, I mean, college, I don't even view as like a huge part of the story, but um, 
I guess, yeah. Then out of college, I'd gotten into, during college, I'd gotten into improv comedy, into comedy, into create, uh, in general, doing stand-up, uh, most, and mostly improv, mostly uh, long-form improv comedy, if, if people know it. Um, sort of Amy Poehler's a big, Tina Fey, uh, 30 Rock, Parks and Rec are sort of informed of that style of humor, if anyone's aware of those shows. Um, yeah, and so at that point, because you're, you're on the other side of the gate, you've graduated, time to get a job, time to be in office, you know, work in an office and, and, and pay for that degree. Um, what I found to be really interesting, was, or what I found at that point was, I sort of went to cling on to the things that I knew. So I got really involved in a comedy team. I had my job that was a fine, normal nine to five desk job you know, young professional job. And then at a, very quickly had a girlfriend and sort of that was, that was life to me, you know, like college was this interesting set of experiences. You try some new stuff, you meet some new people, you sort of avoid the bad stuff, move towards the good stuff. You know, that's, that's life, right? You, you have your desk job, maybe pursue a hobby, marry someone, have a family, very, uh, very cut and dry. Um, and, you know, I, I think for a while that that was my whole life is doing I, I ended up the girl I was dating. I ended up doing comedy with her uh, and we did it semi seriously. We traveled to New York to do festivals. We did sketch comedy. Um, so like SNL, basically, um, but no money and no budget. But but, you know, SNL style sketches and skits um, going to different bars and clubs um, performing, you know, we and we I thought we were pretty good. Um, we, we won a few competitions, that sort of thing. And, you know, everything seems to all, everything's going well. You're listening to podcasts at your desk, you know, things are, things are going good. That's sort of when I, uh, stumbled upon Jordan Peterson and was like, oh, this is interesting. This is cool. Oh, this seems, oh, self-development and, and that's good. But, you know, I, I got my thing going. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm starting to lift weights. Maybe I'm starting to learn to like, you know, trying to, eat better or a few things where you're like that's that's what Jordan Peterson's talking about he's talking about you know self-improvement he's talking about waking up and doing push-ups and you know reading a book every once in a while that's 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 what he means when he say like become who you you need to become and so I'm like yeah we're we're, we're grooving we're grooving at this point uh and you know you're doing the shows you're doing you know we went up to New York City we performed in, in a comedy festival things are going well and, you know, there just comes a day where I realize, like, yeah, the, none of this is working. None of this is good. And at that point, I think the big thing that led me to that realization was, <laughs> to be a little bit confessional, was just I had a dream about the girl I was dating at the time. And I pictured her in a wedding dress in the dream and you know and you, you're thinking about her you're thinking about you know uh the wedding dress and you i just woke up in like a cold sweat of like that is like a, a nightmare that is like a bad dream that i'm having right now and there wasn't any context to it i wasn't even like in a body it was sort of me floating around there wasn't i wasn't at an altar but it, pretty clear of like that was a bad dream and that was sort of pointing me away from something, which 
it's funny because now having things having changed, it's very easy to be like, oh, well, it's so obvious. It's so obvious the dream. It's so obvious. But at the time, that's that's the world, you know, this is like me, maybe. Yeah, this is me three years out of college. So you've had one job. Was it just the idea of marriage that caused you to wake up in a cold sweat or was it being married to her? Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, I hate to say it, but it was definitely like the context of the current relationship. Okay. And, and yeah, yeah, to clarify, that's it. Um, it was just the idea of like being committed to the current life that I was living, being like, this is the life you're going to have and living in what, and what's funny, uh, what's more context, um, DC, I was living in Washington, DC. And DC has a lot of people who either work for the government or work adjacent to the government. And a lot of the government jobs and a lot of the adjacent to the government, like working for the government jobs are very cushy and very sort of 35 to 40 hour work weeks, clocking in late, out early. And you see a lot of people who are living sort of a very somewhat, you know, you get the stereotype of like, oh, it's filled with just like people moving about and Congress people and blah, blah, and West Wing and, and, you know, all these movies. It's like, yeah, that's that's a certain few thousand people. But there are way more people working for the Department of Education, working for the Department of Agriculture uh, and then the associated industries for you have all these professionals who make anywhere between 80 and one hundred and twenty thousand dollars a year. They're going to dinner. They're going to, you know, see, so you have a lot of baristas, a lot of waiters. So. Yeah, there's a whole milieu in D.C., in my opinion, of being very comfortable with the lifestyle you're living is not working too, too much, having an OK income, living in the Virginia area, commuting into the city. You know, there's a you know, if you get far away enough from D.C., the cost of living is not horrific. Um, yeah. And I, I think at that point, uh, I just looked around and realized there's a very, very real possibility of this basically being the rest of my life, of this being the story that I have of me doing open mic comedy, doing performing here and there, doing a job working for the government. You know, I was working adjacent to the government and just that's, that's sort of what's possible. And I think, uh, and I, yeah, I, I, the story of the dream and the wedding dress, I didn't mean just to, just to say the relationship was bad, but just the idea of coming to a place where you're like something, something here is amiss. And my current under then understanding of Jordan Peterson of like, you got to do the pushups, you got to read the book. You know, that's, that's sort of what he's getting at is self development, or, or, you know, the next, how to win friends and influence people, how to be nicer, how to, you know, how to take who you currently are and sort of augment it. uh, Very, in a very bending things to your will, to your current understanding. Whereas getting to a point where I'm like, oh, my plan for my life is bad. I have a very bad plan for my life. And if I continue going down this, this road going and taking the steps on the plan, it's going to be bad. And so at that point, you know, still no, you know, who knows? This is all I know. I've only had one job out of college. I've only lived in one city. I'm sort of like, I thought I had it figured out. I thought I had a good job. This is what you're supposed to do. You go to college, then you work the job. That's the game plan. 40 years, then you retire. Um, and, you know, 
I'm still, I'm, I, you know, I'm not at the point where I'm in a deeper understanding of anything. I'm not at a point. I'm just, I remember realizing that I needed to leave and get a different job. And so I, I, I get a different job in New York City. And I go back down to D.C. And <laughs> that week I'm packing up to leave. And I still haven't broken up with my girlfriend at that time. And for that entire week, my heartbeat was not below 120 beats per second at any point. Just the whole week. If you, I could, I could be sitting here talking to you the way I'm talking to you right now. But in my ears, it'd be drumming. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, no, the, the, the latte. No, the latte. Yeah, I'll take the latte. And my, the pounding in my head, you know. Oh, oh, you're looking for the Dwayne Reed two blocks that way, one block south. But it was just like the whole time heart beating through my chest. You know, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? You know, and, and you're doing your best to like keep it all together. You're getting a new job. You're, you're leaving it behind. And you're like, and, and, and then things then they're going to work out. Then they're going to work out, you know, and we're, we're going to find a way. So I move and. Uh, I moved to New York City. Uh, my parents are close by, so I'm living with them. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm in New York City now. We're figuring it out. And, you know, it's going to be good. And this job is just hellacious. This job is just, everyone is mean to me. I'm not good at it. I don't like doing it. It's very, I'm in advertising. Uh, I'm in a job where I, um, it's very planning and taking notes and sort of following up and it's it's client facing so you're working with clients but you're it's administrative in terms of like you're 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 taking notes you're doing timelines you're uh sending out follow-up emails but you're also working with the client so it's very much not playing to anything creative anything i'm good at um and what's hard what's hard with that description is now i can look back and I guess I haven't told said the end of the story yet, so people don't know. But now, at the moment, you're like, this is what being an adult is. I mean, that's the level of understanding I had. It's like taking notes and sending emails, that's an adult. That's what it means to be an adult, you know? That's, you know, this is the world. You need to, if you don't like it, you need to grow up, you know? Not having an idea of understanding your own desires and your own skills and the things you want to pursue and then finding ways in which you can apply those in the world rather taking what you expect the world to offer you and then fitting yourself to that offering that's sort of much more the understanding i had um so um yeah i you're working that job and uh well, so at this point you all you still knew about jordan peterson was uh the self self-help kind of stuff the self you know physical improvement um what's the word that he used sorting yourself out that that's that's as far as you had gotten with him yeah 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 very much so and and uh mm, mm, i mean so what year would that have been <clears throat> Yeah, so I left in 2019, and I would say this is 2019 to 2020 would be that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's just funny because you're an adult. You, you People, I look like an adult. I don't look, no one looks at you like, you know, oh, this is this is a child. This is a young person. You know, if they bump into you on the street, they're going to say, oh, sorry, sir, or whatever. You know, 
which is that's good. I think being an adult, being matured is, you know, what a what a wonderful thing. But it's so funny looking back and realizing like you're having these debates and these discussions and desire for a certain level of understanding, a certain level of um, some sort of, I guess at this point, I'd be able to call it like spiritual ministering, understanding of the purpose of your life and who you are. But there is no, there is no way to say that without sounding like, you know, maybe someone will say, oh, have you tried speaking to a therapist or have you, <laughs> have you, you know, do you think that you're, you know, oh, well, why do you think you're unhappy? You know, stuff like that. But you're like, well, I guess, yeah, maybe they'll be able to offer some help and, and maybe they're great, but I don't have the words yet to speak to what this missing piece is. I can, um, I can so resonate with that because when I was in my early 20s, I mean, I was doing life. I was taking care of jobs. I was already a mom by that time. So I was mm. married and I had a baby and I was doing everything that needed to be done. But I don't think that anything ever wired together into my in my head until I was 30, where, where anything started making, where it wasn't just sort of a fog, where mm. I sort of came out of the fog when I was 30 and started seeing the world in a little bit more yeah. of a tangible way i think so i mean yeah. i can totally resonate you're just kind of wandering around trying to figure out what this is all about and where you fit and oh yeah no and it, it's just so it's funny i mean now it, it's it's easy to laugh and and the beautiful thing about this little corner and this um the channels and jonathan bejo and pvk is it, it gives you the beginning of a language and and to uh I think one of the beautiful things that even today gives me hope is I think we're just at the beginning of things. You know, the more I look into it, the more I think that this is just the very, very beginning of us having a language to talk about sort of the spiritual needs and the spiritual desires. Um, I think that the best of this channel points towards something beyond itself, something that like we're all doing together, something we're building an, an arc of sorts. Uh, and so when we talk about that haze, I think that the fact that young people aren't told, don't have a language. And when I say language, I mean, like, young people aren't just going to like, oh, you, oh, well, you have a spiritual desire. Well, what does that mean? What are you, what are you talking about? You can't just go up to young people and tell them about their spiritual desires. But the second you show them a drama, the second you show them the statue of the football player, the second you show them a trophy they understand, oh, I want to achieve. Or the second you show them a great, you know, uh, a movie that they can respond, relate to. Mm. Like, why is it only that, you know, the worst, or uh, there's a lot of low quality art that speaks to the desires of children. Whereas like, it should be the art that, that the young adults, that the adults want to show that, that, that it's not just, oh, you have to, have to, read this spirit this um shakespeare play which is funny because i love shakespeare now and i've grown to so much more appreciate it why would you ever read a shakespeare it's a play could you imagine me handing you the script to an episode of a tv show and being like this this was the the episode two of cheers now you have to read it it's just like why would you ever read episode two of cheers why wouldn't you just watch the tv show 
and especially a play which is not even meant to be viewed on a screen but watched uh and then the language barrier which i don't even saying i have a solution to these things but um i will say um and now we're a little down a rabbit hole uh and now i'm reversing course i went to a summer camp that was really it really impacted me a lot and the summer camp was is now more than a hundred years old. And so when I went, it, uh, it was like 90 something years old. And in that camp, we had like fire bonfires, basically, where we'd sit around and there were traditions and roll call. And you do these sand paintings where something, uh, an, an image would be painted around the fire. That image represented different laws that we had at the camp and different, like not laws as in rules that were enforced, but more, um, ideals that we had, mm -hmm. uh, like truth, beauty, fortitude. Uh, and so it was just so funny because this camp was run by a bunch of college kids and a camp director, none of whom are brilliant. Like, I mean, I'm sorry. Some of them are brilliant on their own, but none of whom are intentionally trying to create some sort of like religious, they're just normal college kids. They're just normal camp director. But there's a tradition of uh, ideas and like little short plays that we do every year that were passed down because they survived uh, through the generations of like kids really liked these. And there were songs that were taken from different uh, this this camp sort of came out of the boarding school tradition, sort of like uh, if you know, like Hotchkiss, Deerfield. Um, and so like all these different little songs, plays rules of thumb, like, you know, sort of like guiding principles um, were passed down through the camp. And no one person was totally in charge of this, but somehow this ecology of, of items had made its way through the generations. And every, every kid, even the kids, there were kids as young as nine years old at the camp, at a sleepaway summer camp, they knew, oh, this is a time where it's sacred. This is the time where, where this is important. And even if I'm bored and even if I'm playing with my shoelaces, I'm not going to talk. I'm going to give space for this moment to be special. And and I even if I just am happy that I'm participating with the other kids, even if I'm just happy because I'm looking at the bonfire in the middle of the, of the circle and I'm just like zoning out, but I, there's a sense of specialness. And I just think I, I've been toying with that so much and like thinking about that, that no one knows. Like we got real this camp came about in a certain time and in a certain way where these these practices were all tossed in by different people and different people brought songs from their boarding school or from their high school or marching themes or little plays they wanted to do and somehow all of those practices became this language became this this um these items that that make up the summer that make up the seven week summer and there's a beginning a middle and end and a start and a finish and everyone knows that they have a position there and it, and it really makes you feel at home and in a special place there. Um, but the fact that every person isn't trying or that every community isn't trying to actively do that, establish routines and practices and fairs and parades, it's just, there's a sort of a desert of that sort of meaning where only certain things really last anymore. There's Maybe you have a basketball tournament that was important to you in high school. Maybe there was an end of the year, but the amount of the lack of that sort of participatory coming together is, um, I guess that was just a point I wanted to make of, uh, 
when we when we talk about our conferences and the YouTube channels and you know you know everyone recommending go to church, all these things are a language very similar that we're we're creating of no there's no central command there's no central authority who says you have to go to this conference or you have to watch this youtube video but it's a language and and encouraging practices where people know themselves and know what path they're on by the way they part they they engage in these practices with other people um and sorry that was a long 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 uh well no radical, I, but i think but... it was such a great it was a great story because it illustrates a lot of things one of the things that it illustrates is that Somewhere along the line, I would say, probably in the probably since the sixties, the culture in general has completely given way to this idea that we need to stop trying. We need to move away from tradition because young people really want to be free and open and and. And uh, traditions are old hat and it's old fashioned and we shouldn't try to make young people do old fashioned things. And But I really think in actuality that young people are hungry for some kind of commitment. They're hungry for some sort of stability where, where you plant a flag in the center and say, this is what has meaning and we can gather around this. And that's why school spirit is so powerful because it gives them something to rally around. Um, and and my, my daughter used to go to this summer camp just for a week, but even that was so deeply meaningful to her. Even just the tradition in that summer camp, they didn't sleep indoors. They slept out under the stars every night. Wow. <laughs> wow, wow, wow. But, but that was her greatest memory was being able to lie there in a dark, dark completely dark night so that she could see every star in the sky which you can't ever see in the city because of all the light pollution right um so mm. i think people are hungry to put to develop traditions but so much of our culture gravitates against traditions because they are old-fashioned and now we have to be cool and snarky and with our memes and everything you know <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought that was a beautiful illustration. And then the other thing I want to mention is uh, my husband and I went to New York for a wedding at the end of May, and we happened to be there on Memorial Day. And we were this wedding was on Long Island. So we were driving around some of the eastern towns on Long Island, not out, not way out on the end where it's like super shishi, but just in the more like mm -hmm. homey little town neighborhoods. Mm. And several of them were having Memorial Day parades. And it was so fun to see people set up their chairs along the parade route. And then in the parade, there were all these different bands. But maybe one band was uh, a local um, book club, had their own band. Uh, the, the local fire department had their own band. And so all these bands are sort of competing against each other they really made a big deal out of marching in this parade. And uh, it, it was just so much fun to participate in and to see a community that still makes community happen on the special days, you know? Oh yeah. 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 No, I think, um, yeah, with the, it, it becomes very hard, I think, um, for people to have 
no no sense of community no sense and especially as people i think more and more people are seeing how much how important it is to to vote with their feet and to sort of go to the people that they want to be around but that form of participating and coming together and having communal activities um yeah it it's hard to underestimate how how important that is and i just yeah i mean it, it's really i'll uh i'll skip to the part where uh well now nowadays i wasn't in the story i was telling about you know moving to new york bad job um you know it's funny because uh, i think the moment where i'm like this you know i'll go back into the story you know i'm in new york things aren't great job i don't like you know we've all been there wait just sitting at your desk looking at the clock waiting for it to be to five o'clock and you're just like every day you're like i want this to end this is not good and you know i'm just in that rut of like i left dc behind i left it all behind this was supposed to be my big i'm stepping out you know i'm i'm on my journey you know like good things are gonna happen this is where you you hit the brick wall and you're like this is horrific this is bad uh and it was funny uh i remember telling someone about like oh well i lost my girlfriend i lost my you know i don't have that community of people i used to know in dc i used to do all these open mics and you know, I remember them looking at me and in, in kindness, they were trying to help me, but they just said like, oh, well, why don't you just go back, you know? And I'm just like, I just, I couldn't imagine, like, it just so cut me down to think, oh, well, I just messed up and I, I, I left what the best thing. Even when I was unhappy, that's as good as life gets and you left it behind. And the only thing you can do is to go crawling back to it. And it just so was that moment of like, is it true that there's nothing better? And to be honest, there were moments where I just had my former, my ex-girlfriend's phone number on my screen and about to like moments away from texting her. There's one day I remember I'm going to text her and ask her like, can I come crawling back essentially? But I was like, I'll do that after lunch. And then I ate lunch and I was like, I ate lunch. I'm a little, you know, whatever. I'll do it tomorrow. <laughs> you know, it's funny how like even just a, a good hamburger or something will give you in a better mood. But, you know, you're totally in that like, I'm like, I, I have it written out. I've deleted it and retyped it 20 times. This is it. I'm going back. <laughs> um, and, but, you know, you're just, you're, you're, it's, you're, you're suffering is, is the only word for it. It's, things aren't going well and you're very unhappy. Um, and it was fun. And, and on the way home from one of those days where I was, where I was on the bus, you know, just sitting, thinking about nothing, probably listened to some Jordan Peterson podcasts or listened to some sort of comedy podcast that worked all day. You know, you're just not having a good time trying to distract yourself. And I'm just sitting there and I'm not a big, uh, ex ecstatic moment or supernatural experience person in general and at up until that point would have never said I'd had one and since then wouldn't have wouldn't have said it's clear that I've I, I've had one but on the bus around just normal people nothing crazy I'm just sitting there and a voice comes into my head 
a voice that isn't my voice. And it just says, the evil in your own heart will be the evil that destroys you. And that I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking I'm an evil person. I'm just, I'm nice. I open the door when people need you, you know, what, what I'm suffering. I'm, I'm the hero who's suffering. And you're telling me, you know, I'm like, where, A, where did this voice come from? Well, I don't even know what's happening. I know it was serious. So I'm paying attention to what it said, but I'm like, I'm the one who's in the bad position. You're telling, you know, you're telling, you know, the down on his luck guy that it's, you know, evil in his, like his heart. That's the, there's a moment where I'm like, why, you know, this super intense phrase, something that like, I mean, honestly, I'm like, really, that's what the voice is going to tell me. Like, you know, but I'm, I'm wrestling. And at first I'm like, maybe it was just, you know, you're maybe it was just nothing, or maybe it was, you know, maybe it was just, you're stressed out. But the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, that's the only way it could be if it was good, because that means I can do something about it. If I was as good as things could be, if I was doing things all right, and I was this perfect person who couldn't improve at all, if I had figured it out, then life would be bad. Life would be not, you know, would be that you're suffering mind seemingly pointlessly, but it's actually, well, what about, what are all the things that you've done that have led you to this point that you think if you changed, you wouldn't be suffering quite as much as you are right now. Well, at this point, had you already been reading um, Solzhenitsyn and listening to lectures about him? or Because um, that very much sounds like something Solzhenitsyn would say, right? Yeah, I'm now aware. I may have been at the time. I mean, it just... I mean, what's interesting is like maybe... I mean, yeah, I, I probably was aware of Jordan Peterson in a lecture. Uh, talking about Solzhenitsyn and maybe even the line, the line between good and evil runs down the heart of every, every person. Mm -hmm. um, but th there was just such but a I mean, stark... this, this whole idea that, that if you assess that the parts of your life that, that you, that you could turn away from that you could make better. I mean, that sounds very much like what I have not read Gulag Archipelago, but from what Peterson always says about it, that's what it is. It's him kind of analyzing the mistakes mm. that he made in life and and uh trying to understand how those things led him to where he was and anyway it sounds mm. similar so yeah no no i think i think i think that's exactly right and i think that what what it was and what the difference was is or, or the not the difference between what you, but the difference in terms of what changed was realizing that you that that I had a role to play in in the things that I participated in, even the things I had taken for granted previously. The idea mm -hmm. of like oh, well, I just need to get this job or I just need to get this girl or I need to do this with my comedy. The, those needs, not the how did you do those things? How did you approach them? Not the how many push-ups, but you can attune yourself to different things and different goals. You can focus on different goals and you can get to those goals in different paths. But it's not that the getting there that you're just in charge of. It's not just, oh, I want to lose weight, so should I do push-ups or should I 
go running or should I become vegetarian? It's, well, what is the goal that you've already attuned yourself to? And that allows you to look at the goals that you're currently pursuing in a way that previously you weren't able to, in a way that previously like, well, of course I'm going to go to college. Well, of course this is obvious. Of course these things are true. Um, and the moment of, well, some of the things you're desiring, you're desiring bad. It's bad that you're desiring those things. And it's actually the desire you need to look at, not the ways in which you pursue that desire. I see. It's actually, you know, why do you want these things? Why do you, why do you want to do comedy? Why do you like, is it like, do you really think you'll be happy? Is it really good that you want to be the center of attention in this way? Is it really good that you want to feel uh, important and you're going to get that by, you know, going to the gym or, you know, the desire itself was the thing that I was able to point at. And in that way, you know, it smash, it, it changes your frame of reference of what do, instead of, instead of how am I going to get what I want? It's what do I want? What are the things that I should want? And what are the things that are good? And that sort of allows you, it's scary because it cuts ties with all these things that previously bound you and mm -hmm. previously gave your life meaning. Um, you know, oh, this job will give me meaning. Oh, this job is important. Oh, this, these people are, you know, this, the comedy is important in this way. Though Those are all things that give you your day structure and tell you to get out of bed. But if you're bound to things that are bad, the outcomes will be bad. If you're bound to, oh, I just need applause. I just need to feel important. Then you're going to, you're, you're actually, you're eventually going to get to the end of those things and file, find out that they're hollow in a certain way. Or else, you know, that's my opinion on that. Maybe other people want to pursue those things and find them well, meaningful. Well, so, so what you wanted to do then, you wanted to get down like one level below. You were, you were pursuing all these things, but you wanted to figure out what, what's the driving force that's underneath all of those. In a way, you were kind of going down one level below, but then also trying to pull yourself up to some meta goal. Yeah. An overarching yeah. goal. Well, you really can't. Um, if you're wrapped up in your current paradigm, you can't see the meta goal. You can't you can't step outside of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's it's how. You know, the second uh, you're like, well, how how could anyone criticize me? I've already achieved all the goals. I'm I'm already at the finish line or I'm on the way to the finish line. So how could how could there be a criticism of what I'm doing? Cause I already know where the, the finish line is, but it's not until you say like, well, how do I know that this is the right, the, how do I know that this is a place that I want to end up? How do I know that this is a good place to be? It's not until you get there that you can actually step back and say, well, what were the things I was pursuing and why was I pursuing them? And is there a, a, a larger goal, a goal above those goals that's even more, more valuable. So, um, well, wow. So Maybe. once you had that kind of realization, you're on the bus, this yeah, yeah, flash yeah. comes to you. And then, then what did you do? <laughs> well, I will say this is the, this is the interesting thing. And, and, you know, this is only happening, I mean, a handful of years ago. So it, it, it's honestly something I still contend with, but I do think this is where this little corner I've resonated so much is you have the big insight. You got the big, this is the scene in the movie. This is the, this is where we're really getting down to it, you know? And 
you know, I, I was like, oh, uh, you know, I really think that there are good and evil in the world and that, you know, it's important to pursue these. And, you know, there wasn't, to me, an obvious place to go now. And so when you don't have an obvious place to go, you have to humble yourself to take the opportunities you do have. And I think that this this gets into what we're talking about with the parade almost of people always, it's very common, especially in this little corner to say, oh, I wanna participate. I want community, I want embodiment. I want all these, these buzzwords that are so delicious. Oh, oh, participatory knowing. Oh, oh, you know, I just got the Peugeot, the Verveki, it's all dripping. And I'm like, yeah, well, I agree. I 100% agree. But sometimes you humble it, like before you can get to the like, ah, yes, the, the beautiful and the, the platonic ideal of, of, of knowing, of engagement, of community, like you humble yourself. And so I, I, I through Peterson, through uh, uh, Vanderclay, or maybe I didn't know Vanderclay at this point, but a couple Peugeot videos, I had sort of been like, okay, now it's time to go back and go, like, I need to go to church. I need to, they, there is a paradigm there of of good and evil that i have faith in that i trust and that there, i have i have i've trust in the tradition in the christian tradition and faith that like pursuing that is worthy and at, at, prior to this i hadn't and you know we could go deeper into the faith journey and, and how do you know uh know god but i i had some semblance of like okay there is good there is evil and there is a, a, a way of knowing more specifically about good and evil and about the purpose of your life. And you're like, okay, big ideas. We're good and evil. We got, you know, big idea. We're, we're in the big idea zone right now. And I didn't want to go to church because the church I grew up in, very suburban, you know, middle, upper middle class, completely dead. My joke is that uh, if a bunch of like, you know, if a bunch of, um, military people burst into the doors of our church and said, you gotta, no more church. This church is that I grew up in. Everyone in the audience would have just been like, finally, finally, we can stop going to this church. We're finally free. You know, it's just very, very, uh, very cu culturally enforced is people are used to going to church. People like the idea of having uh, an element of the weekends. And and I, I mean, they like, I mean, the, the church was dwindling my entire childhood anyway. So, um, you know, it, uh, so, um, so yeah, at that point I was like, I can't go to church. Church is not the place to understand God. But I understood that you needed to participate, right? So you got the two like, uh-oh, like, you know, you don't want to go, but you still need the thing. How do you, you know, besides looking at YouTube, how do you, how do you do it? And uh, so I'd listened to a podcast and there had been an ad for this thing called Faith Rx, which is a fitness faith club, which is like totally kooky, really interesting people, totally off the wall, not glamorous. You know, they meet in a park, but um, yeah, I showed up and, you know, I started and doing the workouts. I'm like, okay, I kind of want to work out right now, but this is not really, I don't know. I'm in the middle of a park working out. What does this have to do with the evil in my own heart? You know, like this is, I'm, um, you know, what's happening right now. And, 
you know, then we'd get to the portion where people were reading scripture and reading the Bible and talking. And what I really, really liked and what I had to humble myself to to see was the faith and commitment that these people had to their ideals and that you had very normal people who had who had a, a clarity and a commitment to higher principles that was so integrated into their lives that it was just obvious to them and that I was sort of like well I watched the Jordan Peterson videos and I you know I'm the one who went to college and I I'm so you know it's me with my big brain and and it it, it it's almost it's very humbling to see well I was doing my own life and I was living my life and I thought I had it figured out and I knew that, you know, with the right amount of going to going to work, making money, having a girlfriend, you know, like with the right amount of status symbols coupled with, you know, self-improvement, that's that's what it means to be a good person. And yet these people had many different lifestyles and backgrounds and had challenges in their lives and yet were committed to principles that I had that I had overlooked and that I had sort of deemed below me or that I didn't need this sort of teaching. And so, you know, you're doing jumping jacks in the middle of a park and then you're talking to people and hearing their story and hearing their, their own personal commitments to the highest, highest principle that they can conceive of, which is God. It just really was a moving time and it allowed me the space to lower myself down and be like, okay, like I'm a professional. I live in New York City. In one sense, my life is going really well. But in another sense, I'm suffering. And the, the way forward, I'm going to have to humble myself to actually proceed. And I'm going to have to all the idea of like, well, I know more or I'm smart or, you know, I can figure it out. I, you know, I pay for myself and I'm, I'm capable. All that, all those, all those markers, all those things that you put on yourself for identity, all those status symbols or identifiers, were going to have to be taken off if you were going to progress. Um, and so I think the way of going and meeting very ordinary people and meeting regular people and talking to them and having, in one sense, a very, you know, I still love YouTube and Jordan Peterson and you're, this is where Paul Vanderclay and Jonathan Bajot are coming into the picture, which is very good in like sort of an intellectual sense, but humbling yourself to just show up and help out and whatever, if one weekend we're going on a hike or one weekend we're working at a food bank you know, just showing up, just doing it and not thinking, oh, well, in my mind, I was going to be a, you know, it was going to be glamorous. And in my mind, it was going to be this beautiful thing. But instead realizing um, realizing that like the fulfillment, the fulfillment of these identities, and I'm sorry, I'm about to make a big, big statement. So you know, forgive me uh, for, but the fulfillment of a lot of these identities 
is in is in acting out is in doing the it's actually committing your to the higher principles and that sometimes means lowering yourself down in ways that you previously um, wouldn't have wanted to like you you know when people say oh i want to live for these high ideals or i, I want to have these principles or i want to be um i want to have this great philosophy well okay but living for that philosophy being involved doing it acting it out and not being not being scared away by oh well someone's going to think this or someone's going to think that it um it it, it that's uh, that to me I, in this little corner i see as the biggest as the biggest blocker of no one wants to be at the you know no one wants to be at church with the stale coffee and the donuts that don't taste great cornered by the weird guy who always talks to you you know people don't want oh i want to participate i want to be in community but it's i i, I <laughs> i'd love community if it wasn't for all the people you know it's just like uh, you know we see um one of the first things you learn when you start going to church is you can sit back and say oh the church is full of hypocrites but i'm one of them so <laughs> oh yeah so yeah from there i just I, I mean i was very lucky i got plugged in it's actually i mean really cool the i, I planned on doing the whole smart guy thing of i'm gonna go to 100 churches and i'm gonna make excel graphs and i'm this church has a better music but this church has better uh, sermon but this church has you know and do the whole like church shopping thing and then i literally the guy who was at the fitness club thing uh just showed up and or took me to church one day and it wound up the first try was the first one and i started going and just i was just blown away by it's a very small non or not very but it's a small non-denominational church not very glamorous there are no you know for any this little corner people there's it's not eastern orthodox it's not even close to eastern orthodox it's not catholic it's not there's no giant cool buildings but i was just blown away by the faithfulness and the passion that the people had and you know it's it was in an office building oh horror of all horrors to this little corner it was like in an office building nothing you know no no pieta statue no domes no you know incense being burned but you know there were people there who had committed themselves to a higher principle who had committed themselves to um an ideal and i just i i mean i i like fell in love with it and you know there's nothing glamorous about it it was in chinatown you know but it really being around people like that to me was uh was was amazing so i i do think i still laugh about it to this day um because i in in this little corner for any for the viewers who know uh it's just very popular to be an Orthodox bro. It's very popular to convert to Roman Catholicism uh, and be like the glamorous and the saints and, and you know, and we could have a, someone's gonna take exception to my comments, but, you know, seeing people who are devoted themselves to, to uh, the highest principle possible that they can think of, who have devoted themselves to, um, and in an area where it's very uncommon to be that faith-filled, it was just, you know, it's been great. And uh, so, yeah, it, uh, 
it but it it definitely took the like lowering the shields lowering the the expectations and and being expectant on 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 god as he, as he appears in in terms of like it's not this isn't a movie where oh well i'm going to be draped and i'm going to be crowned in glory it's all going to be beautiful but you'll see god move in the day to day you'll see god show up in little things um so. And the, the church I became a Christian in was a tiny little country church in Iowa. And it was filled with farmers and small business people and a guy that worked at the bank and, you know, clerks and housewives and just every kind of person you could imagine. And all the way from little children, all the way up to old people and, and to just see the the faith that they exhibited but also the love they all had for one another i had never been exposed to anything like that to see people actually enjoying being with each other husbands mm. and wives actually loving on each other kids enjoying being with adults um kids enjoying learning new things i mean to see all of that for me was so startling because in my world, I had never seen anything like that. And then the very few times I'd ever gone to a church, I'd always gone to some dark, dead church where everybody sits <laughs> in the back row so they can get out of there as quick as they can after the service is over so they don't have to shake hands with anybody or smile at anybody. You know? <laughs> that had always been my experience. So, so being in this little country church where everybody loved on each other was just such a tremendous way to get started. And then the pastor was very committed, very loving. And he always said that when he wanted to go on many times, the, the husband would be the one who wasn't so interested in going to church. The wife would always be interested in going. The husband wouldn't be. So when he would go visit the family at their family farm, he wouldn't sit at the table with a piece of pie with the wife and husband and try to tell the husband about church. He would go out where the husband was working on his tractor. He'd crawl under the tractor with the husband and then they'd fix the tractor together. And that was how he'd have conversations with people. And that's mm. the kind of guy he was, you know? So I had this really good grounding in what it means to just be a human being caring for other human beings and mm -hmm. not yeah. try to get too fancy, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah i mean at the at the conference we were at the quest for a spiritual home i mean it just i mean I apologize to whoever said that but i remember vander clay saying that uh oh someone said that we should start our own church and i just thought it was just so to me it was just so backwards the idea that all the high and openness you know, high interested in ideas, people would 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 put themselves away from everyone, would be like, well, this is our church. We are the ideas church. We're going to have, you know, Verveke, the scientist and Jonathan Pajot, the icon carver. And we're going to be so, so high and all our ideas will be so up there and we're only going to discuss with each other. And it's like, no, we need to be the sight, the salt and the light for 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 the people, for everyone, for, you know, and, and, and it, it works so well when everyone comes together and brings their gifts, 
and the open people and the ideas people come to the the people who are handy and hands-on and working on tractors and and those people are with the people who are very nurturing who like to be around kids who are like to be you know teachers and 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 when all those people bring their gifts forward that's the appropriate that's what the church looks like that's the body mm -hmm. of christ that's that's yeah. the bride of christ sorry and and it's like that's the appropriate place but if we just see ourselves as like well, we just need to seal ourselves off. We just need to be so far away from everyone else so that we can just, we can read, we can read, you know, maps of meaning every day. And we can, you know, we can read Solzhenitsyn in the original Russian and, and we can, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and, and we'll never even speak, you know, we'll, we'll eventually develop our own language, you know, our own, you know, you know, because we'll be so far away from everyone. We won't even be able to communicate with them because we'll just, you know, and it's just, I'm not, and I'm sure that's a little bit of a, of a scarecrow argument. I'm not saying anyone's just saying that, but I am saying like, you know, I, it's just this community, I just say like, you need it so much to participate, to love, to, and when you love others, it's you, it, you're receiving, you know, it, it's, you're the one who's also being blessed, you know, um, you know, uh, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be, be called sons of God um it's you know that's that's where we we belong that's where the fight is not not oh well i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna quote you know uh you know some proust and uh, and i'm gonna sprinkle in some you know some socrates and the platonic forms and it's like yeah that that i love that I, i've listened to so many hours but it, talking to everyday people talking to people with their re and that's that's another thing you realize is just like you know oh these church people like you know they they don't know anything they're they're so they're so bland and and you know they they wouldn't they wouldn't understand and it's like you know they're living full lives they 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 have these own their own world and their own problems that you know and if you can uh if you can just participate and get involved you'll realize that you have a position in that world and you have things ways in which you need to be helped and ways in which you need to help others and you know stealing yourself away and hiding away in the world of youtube um you know it's it's i know this is very inside baseball for for this little corner but i just it, it you know as someone who hey I, I have my badges you out there if you're watching this video i've listened to uh, probably at this point, 10,000 hours of, of the big cat characters, you know, I probably listened to, you know, between Jordan Peterson, Peugeot and all those guys, I, I have my badges. So don't, I'm not coming for you, but you know, it, you know, go, keep trucking. If you're at your desk right now at your, you know, at your insurance firm and you're listening to the meaning code, keep, you know, you know, I, I, I love you, but you know, if you're just if you're just keeping it to the conferences and keeping I think that's the that's the dirty little secret is like go to church is so much deeper than, it, you know, that this little corner is just it. There'll be new fruit and there'll be new blessings that flow from it. And and, and there are so many things that are getting rediscovered, like the um, C.S. Lewis. I know Paul Vanderclay is listening to Perlandra. And I think there are little gems that are being rediscovered here and things that need to come to light and ideas like the ideas people, the people in this category, they're good. They're good people. They're they're rediscovering the lost treasure and rediscovering the meaning of C.S. Lewis and 
and his and that hideous strength and all those books and and that's beautiful but um the coming together and appropriately being in community that's like the secret like oh and you know maybe you say this is just my opinion but i do think that like being in community and loving one another uh as we love ourselves is the dirty little secret of like that's that's where we're being called to and find rediscovering ways where we can live together is the like is the process right now yeah i mean absolutely um it always makes me sad when i hear somebody in the corner saying things like well you know i tried to go to church but i just couldn't find anybody who could understand what i was talking about because they're trying to talk about this little corner but but when you go to church what you have to do is listen to other people and try to learn from them and <laughs> and open yourself up to serve in some capacity that you can serve in at the church and through that process you find out well there are ways in which these ideas that are such big ideas and they're terrific big ideas but actually when you see them acted out in somebody's life they become little crystals kind of little jewels the big idea mm. shrinks down and all of a sudden you can see what that idea is all about because you're seeing it acted out in somebody's life Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And that's the, you know, all those identities, uh, you know, that I mean, that's sort of exactly the point or the thing I was trying to talk about earlier of like, yeah, you need to take off like you might find a lot of meaning in listening to Jordan Peterson and Paul Vanderclay. And you might find like, oh, I have this corner. I have my people. Let me just grasp onto them. But you're never going to be in full communion with this little corner. This little corner is not a, a home. That was sort of like the thesis of the quest for the spiritual home conference is like, you're not going to find, you're not going to be able to just build up walls and make your home here. Like ultimately our home is not on this earth is not here. It's somewhere else. And that's a very Christian interpretation, but you know, there are a lot of Christians in this little corner, but yeah, you're going to have to humble yourself and try and participate in true community. And you know, it, it maybe try again, but if, 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 yeah, I mean, I totally get that exact feeling of like, I tried to tell everybody, I tried to show someone a 19 minute YouTube video, but they weren't interested. <laughs> like, this guy's a plumber. He's got to go home. He's three kids. And you're trying to show him a three hour podcast between the four horsemen of meaning Bishop Baron, you know, Verbeke, you know, it's just like, this guy's like, I'm trying to watch the Jets game. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, just it's and I totally get it. But it's just, um, you know, I, I, I just would encourage them to like, there's a home there in humbling yourself of guess what? Like, you know, and I'll actually tell I'll, I'll give, you know, I'll, 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 you know, expose myself is, yeah, when I first came to the church, as much as I made it out to be great, it was tough in terms of I didn't know anybody. It's hard to meet people. And you know, they had a park night club where they all went to the park, right? At seven o'clock. And I didn't want to humble myself. I didn't want to uh, ask them to join. Or so I just, I kind of knew when it met, but I didn't want to like be like, oh, I want to come too. Cause I didn't want to, like, I was like, unless you're going to, you know, you should roll out the red carpet for me, you know? But at the same time, I wanted to go. So I just showed up when it was and I took the train for 45 minutes, showed up when I thought it was. Turns out that that week it was canceled. So I walked around the park alone for a little bit. And then I got back on the train 45 minutes home. And I'm like, okay, that was unfortunate. But, you know, next week, okay, it was canceled this week. Next week, I'll go and, and 
But still, I could just text the guy. I knew the guy who's running it. I could have just been like, hey, when is it? I'd love to come. But instead, I'm like, well, I can't humble myself. You know, you're just you're just a wreck. You're just you, you don't know anybody. You don't want to, like, expose yourself by asking for an invite. And I saw so I was like, OK, now I'm going to go second week in a row. I have 45 minutes on the train. It was canceled again that week. And I just I walk. I'm 45 minutes on the train. You're walking around alone and then you take it back. And then finally, I was just like, dude, you need to just tell me when this is. Like, you know, I just finally came to the point where I was like, and that was, I mean, obviously, that was just two nights where I just walked around the park alone. There's no, no big problem. But yeah, I think getting to the point where you realize the magnitude of how important these things are, and you could say, well, how important could you say, you know, this is just coffee and church and the sermon and community, you know, these are just like petty things, you know, that, oh, this is just a room full of 70 people who uh, you know, hang out once a week, you know, but if you really took the ideas of community and participation as seriously as this corner claims to take it, you'd realize that humbling yourself, looking for places to serve um, is, is just, it's so, it's important enough where you're, it's worthy of your sacrifice that the ideal is worthy of the sacrifice that you're going to make to, to participate in these things. And if you look for places to serve, if you look for places to chairs that need to be moved, you know, things that need to be paid, uh, you know, greeters that need to greet everybody as they, if you look, start looking to serve in those communities, you'll find opportunities and, and humbling yourself before the importance of, of those things. So it uh yeah it it i i mean i don't totally get it it is hard uh but the thing well, so the, yeah, so continue. we've only got um about 15 minutes left before i have a hard stop and i i want you to be able to finish your idea here but i also the other two things i wanted to get to before you leave is um we're still in suspense over the hellacious job <laughs> what <laughs> happened there and then um, what you're doing now. And are you still uh, at that church, this little church? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll, I'll try and weave some of this stuff together. Um, so, yeah, I, I was at, you know, you're just this job. I had the little voice. I was like the evil in your own heart. And I just, and this is another way in which I need to humble myself. I was in, a, in an advertising firm, but in a role that I wasn't suited for. But for whatever reason, and now it's so easy to look back and laugh whatever reason, I couldn't get away from the idea that I was supposed to be in business, that I was supposed to do like a businessy job. And that's so funny because that means a trillion things. That means so many things that it's meaningless. But the idea of doing something creative, even though I clearly wanted to do that because I got a job in an advertising firm, I clearly on some level, I've been aiming to do something creative, but I just couldn't bring myself. And I think that there came a point where I was given an opportunity at the same firm. So hilariously going from a horrible job at the same firm to jump into a different department and getting to the point where I said, you know, the ideal, this is a good concrete example of like the ideal that I was previously praying to, that I was previously making sacrifices to was business. I have a finance degree. I worked at Capital One for a while. I was like, this is what a real identity is. This is a real person, is someone who has a serious job, 
someone who works with spreadsheets and works with emails. Um, and finally, I said, I, you know, I can't, those ideals, I don't think are good for me in a lot of ways. And I finally was able to humble myself and say, what I really want to do is something creative. And I know that sounds to me at the time, it sounded totally like a pipe dream, you know, get a, get a haircut hippie sort of like, you know, oh, you want to be creative, you know, oh, you know, like, what do you, you know, grow up, you know, and as silly as it seems, that voice was just as real as anything, you know, that ideal of you need to grow up and get a real job was as serious as anything. Um, and so I started doing copywriting. Uh, and and I, I got the opportunity to, to jump into copywriting. And yeah, I've been here since and I've moved firms and and it's so funny. I was supposed to talk about creativity today and we just totally ran off the off the map. But I hope I hope the conversation was good either way. But um, yeah, I, it really was helpful in terms of finding a career and a place where I'm able to help people, where I'm able to do something interesting where and like be around other people who are like minded. And honestly, the, the people you're around in a copywriting job is probably the biggest benefit because you're around other creative people and you find a way to you find a way to bring up like other elements of your life with one another uh, and talk about that so being able to finally slay that sort of idol of like well no i need to be i need to be strong when i when i tell people what i do people need to like gasp and take a step back you know i'm going to tell them i'm senior business manager of business at the big business factory, you know, and everyone's going to look at me and be like, he's the senior manager of business at the business factory, you know, and, and, um, you know, at that point, it, you know, how, you know, really being like these ideals are, they're, they're, they're sort of false gods. They're sort of not leading you in the direction you need to go. And I think so that, in, in practical, in practical speak, what does a copywriter do and how on earth did you get a copywriting job when you didn't have any background in copywriting? I mean, yeah, yeah was yeah. it hard to convince them to let you give it a try? Um, I mean, I got lucky. So yeah, I won't, I won't undersell. Like there was a level of luck and serendipity. Um, and I think um, I, so I was, went I had a business I worked at capital I worked at one business job then worked at a different sort of businessy job then I worked in the marketing department of that job they needed some work done it was very very small it was basically just me doing random tasks for them that that sort of marketing experience got me a job at an advertising firm but on sort of the business side and then Sarah you know out of luck the firm I was at was just so desperate for people for copywriters um that I was able to just get it so you know, I think the in the back of my mind, I was always angling for that. I think when I took that job in an advertising agency, even in a non-creative department, I think I, secretly I was angling for that. Um, so, uh, so what do you do? We, what does a copywriter do? Oh, oh, I mean, do yeah, you, yeah, you write I mean, stories or you write jingles yeah. or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I write. Um, I write like uh, right now I work for a medical product, but I write uh, like ads you'd see in like a medical, like if you went to uh, the dentist's office, you'll probably see like a medical journal somewhere there, like uh, 
the New England New England Journal of Medicine, uh, and you'd see an ad like a, in that you'd see like an ad for a pharmaceutical drug, uh, and right now or like a, a TV uh, commercial. So right now I work at a pharmaceutical firm, but yeah, writing TV ads. I've worked on an IT uh, a company that does IT services. I wrote an ad for the, those for TV uh, journal or uh, journal ads. That's just what we call it, magazine ads things you'd see. Uh, so yeah, emails. Um, so yeah, it's, it's writing. Uh, yeah. What you'd, what you'd see uh, in turn in your email box or on the. And attention grabbing and, you know, so far I haven't written anything like uh, as memorable as Nike, just do it. But you know, that's the similar, similar idea. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I, it, um, yeah, and I, I, this really gets us very close to where I am now. Cause this was only two or three years ago. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, I would say from there, it's really, it's really convinced me of the, of the power and in multiple, not just the job, but in multiple ways, I've learned the power of just creativity and your voice and, and being able to just write clearly a just being able to write clearly not even creative things throw creativity in the trash for 10 seconds but just being able to put together a coherent idea and then transfer that to someone else just being able to get people to understand what you're saying and and i've been doing comedy for a long time but being able to put ideas together coherently uh, is so powerful even just being able to tweet and out an idea I mean, I know we're, we're bumping up against it, but being able to write succinctly in a way that conveys a clear idea that can capture someone's attention and, and get that into some, and then get that idea into someone else's head. Uh, it's so, it's, it's a real skill. It's a real skill and using it uh, and people should use it. And I think people immediately want to jump into the deep end and say, well, what's the movie that's in my soul? What's the, I have a movie inside me. I just need to get it onto the page. Buddy, I love you. I love the intent. Let's start with, a, I did a lot of sketch comedy, three pages, sketches, three pages. If you're writing more than three pages, you're making a mistake. Get the three pages, get the Twitter. Can you be funny on Twitter? Because if you're writing a funny, if you think you're writing the next Chris Farley movie, but you can't be funny in a tweet, like we got, we got troubles. So really the respect and, and realizing like, there's a real skill to this. It's hard, but it's learnable. And so I think having done it, I didn't really, I didn't really add it throughout my story, but having done comedy and, and create being creative for the past, um, being in plays and a few other things uh, for the past 10 years, uh, allowed me to see the value and the ability. And so um, then I wrote, um, in terms of applying it back to my community and trying to tie this all together in the last five minutes that we have, is uh, I ended up writing a takeoff on Charlie Brown Christmas for my church for the Christmas show. And uh, it was really, it was really cool to see the talents of everybody in the church and be able to write something that could contain and show off the talents of everybody and, and being able to use um, 
your skill in writing to create, yeah, just all it takes is pen and paper or, you know, now at this point people write with software, but being able to do that, um, I, I hadn't really told this story yet, but it, it's made me really curious to see what other ways I can use my skill at writing and being funny and telling stories because for the past 10 years, it's been a lot on the side of pure comedy and comedy shows and stand-up comedy. And recently, actually, my another uh, a friend who was in that show asked me and to write a musical for her because she's an aspiring actress. And she's actually sort of, in a very professional manner, uh, getting everybody together to, to perform a musical. And the thing that I will say is the most the, the coolest part is realizing that a lot of the values that this little corner has are sort of out of the money in terms of, are out of the money. What I mean by that is they're not popular and cornering people to show them a 30 minute YouTube video is not going to be the way that we um, evangelize to the world. But being able to write a musical that is fun and interesting and exciting. And you'd never think of it as sort of a piece. You never think of it as specifically written to get people interested in these things, but as a, as a way, a vehicle to transmit, like this is my worldview. These are the things that I think of are, are beautiful. And, and a way to do that, um, I've really found, you know, I'm really in the midst of it. So I'm, I'm at the beginning of my thinking here, but it has really challenged me to think about how can I, how can I use the writing, the skill, the creativity to make beautiful things that show how life could be and how, you know, and, and sort of invite people into the world of um, faith and of a, a calling to live by philosophy. Wow. You tied that up beautifully, Alan. I, I really like that. And it made me think that at some point in the future, I'd like to get you and, and Justin Wells together for a conversation because you familiar with him? Yeah, he was at but, the, yeah, he did the documentary. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he does a lot with film. He does a lot with writing. Um, if you're not on his Twitter feed, do you do Twitter? Mm -hmm. I don't have a Twitter currently, but oh, I'm, I'm okay. more and more getting convinced, convinced to download, to get it. So yeah, seems like everybody's well, on it. Justin days. has an amazing Twitter feed and he, he's, he's become really good at simplifying very creative ideas so that he can express them on Twitter. So, right. um, but I'm sorry, I have to go. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, Please. This no, has been really me. terrific. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story and some very compelling ideas. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I uh, appreciate you giving me the time and, and, and the, uh, your platform. So thank you so much, Karen. Have a great week. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Yeah,